podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, soon to be 14, and then 12, and then who the hell knows, because life, sports, and conference association is ever-changing. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us for our show today. Uh, today's show, a little bit shorter, which is perfectly fine. Uh, Parker Fleming, our good friend, Stats of War, is going to join us to talk about his new stat he's come up with. It's called COPE, C-O-P-E. And how it relates to determining uh, who's a good coach and who's not uh, based off of expectations. Uh, also going to talk about coming up with new metrics and uh, and measurements for success in college football. Why it works. Why why even bother doing it. Always enjoy having Parker on. Smart guy. Uh, makes me feel smarter. Also it makes me feel dumb because I'm not nearly as smart as he is. But that's okay. Uh, we had another interview planned for today. It got canceled thanks to the uh, severe winter weather that's hitting the south. So if you are like me and you're dealing with ice, and you're going to be stuck at home on Thursday, thank you for uh, allowing us to help entertain you while you're staying indoors and avoiding the icy terrain that has now blanketed the South. Before we get to our friend Parker, a couple things I want to go over. Can we be done with the Riley stuff? Can we be done with the Lincoln-Riley stuff, OU fans? Can we just put it to bed? Look, if USC and Oklahoma face off, if he starts making comments about Oklahoma, that's fine. Caleb Williams, it's to USC. We can make fun of Lincoln-Riley, for the nonsense he said on ESPN regarding the transfer portal, like, miss me with that by a wide mile. But let's be done. Because I literally saw an Oklahoma radio personality, and one I, I like, state that uh, Lincoln Riley was now the most hated sports figure in Oklahoma, more than Kevin Durant. We just jumped the shark here, folks, because there's a huge difference between Kevin Durant, who played for the state's team, and Lincoln Riley, who was the head coach of the most popular college sports team in Oklahoma. Those are not the same thing. Not remotely the same thing. Because guess what? Oklahoma State and Tulsa and Oral Roberts fans who don't like OU liked the Thunder. They don't care about what happened to Lincoln Riley. Other than maybe to laugh at OU about it. Because that's fandom. It's enough. Let's move on. You've got a head coach. You've got a fantastic recruiting class. You've got a, a strength and conditioning coach for the first time. A real one for the first time in a while. Oklahoma fans have something to focus on other than what Lincoln Riley is doing out at USC. They are. So just focus on that. I know that's hard. I know that's not as much fun, but it, it is the case. I mean, look, OU, you guys should be very excited. You had to replace half of your coaching staff, get a brand new head coach a little bit later in the recruiting process, and you're still going to finish with a number eight overall recruiting class for 2022. That according to 247 Sports. Of course, if you missed it, Wednesday was National Signing Day. Part two, part deux, or the late signing period, I think is another way of referring to it since we had the early signing period. Oklahoma with 21 commits, 15 of their 21 signees were four-star players. No five-stars this time. That's okay. The number eight class, according to 247's composite rankings. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Texas, number five overall in the country. A couple of five-stars, 18 four-stars. Nice class. Very nice class. Now, here's the thing. The ranking is based off points. So the number of players you have, the more points you are going to get. Average is something I think is very important. I think average because it's more the rating than the ranking. It's something I've talked about on the show. I've talked about a lot. Rating matters. Oklahoma's class uh, being seven players smaller actually had a higher rating than Texas's. Just saying. 
Om Jerusalem. That's all I'm saying. Texas A&M with the uh, uh, 2022 recruiting national championship having the the best class in, in in 2022. I'm sure they'll hang that or put that up on their their championship wall. Uh, it's a nice class for Oklahoma and Texas. Texas, I mean, good grief. The offensive line class for Texas is stupid. And if you're going to feed me the same line that Jimbo Fisher had to feed about, it wasn't about money. It's just it's hard. his coaches working their tails off getting those players in there. Like, okay, Texas. I'm not saying you wouldn't have had offensive linemen commit, as we talked about back on early signing period, uh, without the uh, <clears throat> financial incentive. But you, you did, and that's good. Devin Campbell the number one offense, interior offensive lineman in the country, signing. Look at this. Two five-stars on the offensive line, Devin Campbell and Kelvin Banks. Uh, throw in a four-star, uh, Anito, Anito uh, which is such a great name, and I really hope it's pronounced Nito. I'm not going to pronounce his last name. Cole Hudson, four-star interior offensive lineman. Uh, four-star offensive tackle, Malik Agbo. Uh, let's see. Cameron Williams, a three-star offensive tackle. Uh, Connor Robertson, a th- high-ranked three-star often or interior offensive lineman. Yeah, I think uh, I think I think uh, Texas is going to do a pretty good job of protecting whoever it is at their quarterback. Probably Quinn yours. So props to Texas, props to Oklahoma. Top two classes as usual in the Big Twelve. Uh, below them, number three, we got to go a while. Uh, 29th in the country, number three in the Big Twelve. Oklahoma State, uh, they signed a couple of nice pieces. Got a uh, a wide receiver, nice three-star kid, uh, who signed with them on the late signing period. Uh, and goodness, I can't remember anything of his name, which is driving me crazy. He was an Oregon commit who decommitted from Oregon. Uh, adds to their, I think, very talented wide receiving group. Very talented wide receiving group in this class for Oklahoma State. Hold on, I'm going to pull up his name because I feel terrible that I cannot just say it here off the top of my head. Steven Johnson, that one was easy. Wasn't even hard for him. That one was easy. A four-star in Taylor Shetron, uh, a wide receiver. Uh, you get uh, Braylon Presley out of Oklahoma, four-star. Okay, You get Steven Johnson, high-rated three-star, wide receiver. Nice three-star. Emilio Singoki, it's a nice wide receiving group for Oklahoma State. And they, they, never, <laughs> they never have a shortage for talented wide receivers at Oklahoma State. I think that's going to continue with this class. Uh, after that, Let's see. Rest of the Big 12. West Virginia, fourth in the Big 12. Congratulations. This is the best class for Neil Brown. This is a very nice class. 35th nationally, a couple of four stars. Uh, Baylor at 36th. Iowa State at 39th. Um, if we get the, the incoming Big 12 teams are starting to show up here. We got Cincinnati at 42. Texas Tech at 43. Very good. TCU at 47. Houston at 49. So, I mean, that's a pretty good chunk. Think about it. For Houston and Cincinnati, these kids are probably going to be playing in the Big 12 when those teams come over and for the 2023 season, which we all think is probably what's going to happen. TCU or UCF at 52nd. Very good. Uh, Kansas State at 61st. I mean, about what you expect. I really hope the Big 12 can find a way, once Oklahoma and Texas leave, for some of the other schools to keep on rising up. It's tough. You know, it's not always. It's not just about like how did you do on the field. Indiana has the twenty-first ranked recruiting class. Indiana was terrible. Florida State's been bad. They're number twenty. Uh, Auburn is a mess. They're eighteenth. Okay, Stanford's been bad for a couple seasons now. They're seventeenth. It's just it, it's not all about success. And until fans grasp that concept, like it's not just about like how many games did you win. Well, I'm going to come play there. That, that that's these are eighteen-year-olds. They think they can come in and provide success to this program which is what you want. You want that confidence, arrogance, ego, whatever you want to call it. Chutzpah, it's also, I think, an appropriate term here. You want that in your players. So, like, 
Of course, they're going to go to Texas and say, I want to go to Texas and be a star at Texas. Whether Texas is going six and five, six and six, seven and five, five and seven, doesn't matter. So the idea that this team is not very good, every kid thinks they can be the guy to help turn it around. Plus, it's about recruiting dollars and NIL deals and how much Indiana's got tons of money because they're in the Big 12. Of course, they have money to invest in recruiting and they can get some talented players. It's all about investment. And, and it's tough for the Big 12. But, all right, I'm, I'm kind of going off on a bunch of different tangents. Sorry. Uh, thank you to everybody who follows us on Twitter, at 1012network, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. Appreciate all your responses to our uh, three rivals graphic that I put out on Twitter and on Instagram at 1012pod. If you haven't seen it yet, you can go do so. Got a lot of responses from Iowa State, West Virginia, and TCU fans. TCU fans not happy about the pairings that I made. Look, it was a uh, the first time I put one out. Uh, it wasn't my best draft. And I will wholeheartedly admit it wasn't perfect. So we're going to make some adjustments to it. Uh, TCU ended up with uh, BYU, Houston, and Kansas. And I've been told it should be BYU, Texas Tech, and Baylor. And you know what? I think they're probably right. I, I don't agree with all of the ones that I set. Um, to me, West Virginia probably on hindsight should have been Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston, not UCF, Cincinnati, and Iowa State. I know there's a lot of debate between for Iowa State if they should play West Virginia or Oklahoma State. Do you want the riot fall? Do you want Oklahoma State? Who's a bigger rival? I pitched that on Instagram. West Virginia was the winner in that poll. I pitched on Twitter. Oklahoma State was the winner in that poll. So I'm going to go do, we're going to have a version 2.0 of this thing. I will put that out here pretty soon. Um, again, off-season content, got to have something. Um, so don't expect it right away. A couple of things that did get brought up on Twitter I thought were hilarious. Uh TCU, Baylor, and BYU all need to play each other because we need to have something similar to what uh, Air Force and Army and Navy do. We're going to call it the Holy Trinity Cup. It's just going to be a little wooden chalice a la um, the Last Crusade. And whoever wins that three-team series is going to get a little wooden chalice called uh, for the, the, the winning the uh, Holy Trinity Cup. I'm not explaining this. It was a great joke. I loved it. I also think they should pull out the old Big 8 trophy and uh, whoever comes away with the best record amongst the uh, remaining big eight teams of Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. You guys can have that. We'll figure that out. Plus, I need Kansas State and Cincinnati. I don't think I had them paired, which I did. No, I did. Uh, I need them paired, set up because I need the, the cat fight. I need that. Anyways, it's not perfect. We're going to do some reworking to it. I'll put version 2.0 out soon. Uh, speaking of TCU, I want to shoot them a little bit of respect. I, I, I have to admit when I make, when I'm wrong. In past years, TCU, in men's basketball, schedules horrible non-conference. Horrible non-conference. And they do really well, and there's a lot of excitement, and they hit conference play, and they go, they just splat. And look, this year's not really any different as far as non-conference goes. They had a nice win at a neutral site over Texas A&M. Everybody else was quad three and quad four. They have a loss to quad two Santa Clara because it was a, a neutral site. They didn't get their first quad one game until conference play. A lot of other teams played quad one proponents in non-conference. I mean, it wasn't quite as bad as Texas Tech or, T or Texas with their eight and nine quad four opponents, but TCU had six and a lot of quad three. But here they are at four and three in conference play, which I didn't see coming, and have a big win over LSU. This is the best TCU team that Jamie Dixon has had at his time in Fort Worth. It is. And they've got a couple of games coming up against Kansas State and Oklahoma State, which they should, at home, pull off those victories. And they could be very easily, next in, in a week when we're talking again, sitting here at 6-3 at and three in conference play. Now, they've got a, a bit of a gauntlet of a stretch after that. 
a six-game stretch of at Texas Tech, home for Iowa State, at Baylor, at Texas, home for Texas Tech, and home for Kansas. That is a six-game stretch that will decide just how good this season is for TCU. But they are playing well. They're up to 44th in Ken Palm. They're up to 40th in the net. Like, I do think they're playing pretty well. They have the 21st-ranked adjusted defense, according to to Ken Palm. Offense is bad, 103rd. Oof. But this is a good TCU team. This is a talented TCU team. I like this team. They're performing way better than I thought they were. Mike Wood, Mike Miles, he's going to have a case for first-team All-Big 12. He is. Um, this is a good TCU team. This is a tournament-bound TCU team to me. I, that six-game stretch, they go 2-4 and four in that stretch. I think they're going to be fine. I do. I, this is a good year for TCU. Props to them. Um, if you're a TCU fan, you should be excited about this. This is, this is good. I, props. I, I was wrong. I was wrong. They're playing a lot better than I thought they would. History was not on their side, but this is a good team. And shouts to our friends, Christine Butterfield and Matt Wilson. Uh, Christine, of course, is the host of the Midwest Matters podcast. She had Matt on the show, and they both were high on TCU this year. I was not. They were. They were right. Props to them. Speaking of Christine, Wednesday was National uh, Girls and Women in Sports Day. Shouts to all the amazing women in the 1012 network. All of them. Christine, who's the host of the Midwest Madness podcast. Jamie, who does Mondays here with us and now hosts our Iowa State show, the Cyclone Family podcast. Uh, Melissa Trevewasser, who is one of the two hosts of our TCU show, Funky Frog Pod. Megan and Rocky, who host our Texas show, Fire the Cannon. And Kenzie, who is one of the hosts over on Tortillas and Takes. Like, shout to all of you. You are all absolutely amazing. You make this whole podcast network even better. And look, I want to add more. If you are a woman who loves, whether I don't care if you're college, older, whatever, you love talking pick 12 sports and you see an end with us, an opportunity to do, to whether it's to to bring in a a show for a team we don't have already, or you want to focus on a specific sport, you know what I would love? I would love to have a softball podcast. I would love to have a big 12 softball focused podcast. I would. So you've got one, you got an idea Pitch it to us. Our Twitter DMs are open at 1012 Network. Our Instagram DMs are open at 1012 Pod. 1012 Network, T E N 1 2, the word network at gmail.com is our email address. If you want to email us, I'd love to know. Okay. We're still growing this network. Don't forget, you can find every show at 1012network.com. You can find links to every single one of them. Go check them all out. Go leave everyone a five star rating and a review, please. I would really appreciate it. Everyone works really hard, they put out great content. Check all the shows out. Whether you're a fan of that team or not, I think you should just give them a try. That's all I ask. Leave us a five-star rating interview. I would appreciate it. <laughs> I, I really would. A couple other notes. Uh, Circus Sports put out the odds for who would win the College World Series this year. Number one, Texas. They printed pretty much a, a consensus number one across most of the national preseason rankings we've seen. But number two, number two also coming from the Big 12. It's Oklahoma State. Like, the top two teams with the best odds to win the College World Series are Texas and Oklahoma State, according to Sorka. That's insane. This is going to be Josh Holiday's best team in Stillwater. Very excited about that as a Cowboy fan. Very excited for how good I think the Pig 12 is going to be this year. I do think they can get two teams into Omaha. They might get three. I mean, you, you can't count Texas Tech out. I, I know the Stanford loss in, in Supers last year was a bit shocking, but I, I, you can't leave them out. Obviously, softball, baseball coming up here in the next few weeks. We're going to plan a, a big softball season preview for next week, 
midweek. That's the plan. And then baseball the week after that. We're going to do the best job we can covering both those sports, even during baseball season. I really want to lean into softball. Seriously, um, let me just put this out here. It's hard to find softball guests. It is. It's really hard. I, I have tried time and time again to reach out to people who cover college softball and just have a hard time getting people to come on. Uh, we're going to get Chris Plank on. He's amazing. If you are someone who loves Big 12 softball, who wants to cover it, who talks about it, who feels like you really know it, and you want to come on the show, this is an open casting call for softball guests, regular softball guest appearances. I want to talk softball on a regular basis, and I will put as much time and energy into doing it as possible. So if you're someone who really loves Big 12 softball and you think you can come on the show and, and really do a good job, hit us up. I told you. Twitter DMs, 1012 Network. Instagram DMs, Twin Toll Pod, 1012network at gmail.com. Shoot me an email. Let's talk. I'm serious. All right. I think that's enough rambling. I think that's enough raving. Don't forget about Homefield Apparel, the most comfortable college sports apparel you will find anywhere. Vintage college sports apparel you will find anywhere. Season three of Big News Saturday is continuing. South Carolina is this week's release. There's a Big 12 school coming. Just keep your eye out. It's not yet. The Gonzaga release was fantastic. The Cincinnati release was great. Okay, they've been putting out random ones. There's an Auburn Peacock shirt, which, damn it, I don't like Auburn, but good grief, it's a good shirt. Don't forget, they have current and future Big 12 schools available. Cincinnati, as I mentioned, they've got BYU, Houston, and UCF. They've got current schools like Baylor. They've got Iowa State. They've got Oklahoma State. They've got Texas. They've got Texas Tech. They've got West Virginia. They've got more than 100 schools available. I don't care if you're not a fan of a school. You're going to go find a shirt and be like, okay, okay that's, dagnabbit, that's a good shirt. So go to homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, get 15% off your first order. You're not going to regret it. You're going to love that t-shirt. You're going to love that sweater. You're going to love that hoodie, okay? And you're going to have to buy another one because your wife or girlfriend's going to steal them for you because that's what my wife does. I'm not mad at her. I'm not. It just means I get to buy more. She's like, I, you don't need any more. I'm like, why? You steal all of mine. More for me. So, Network 12, 15% off your first order. Big new Saturday Season 3. Keep an eye on it. Uh, I've been stalling a little bit for a reason. I really wanted to see the end of this. Holy cow. The end of this Oklahoma-Baylor game. Oklahoma going into Waco, women's side. They pulled it off. They got the win, 78-77. What a... Oh my gosh, this is awesome. This is huge. This is so big. Um, I put out the net ranking sheets. Make sure and follow us on Twitter if you want them. I'll have them posted again and updated on Thursday morning. That gives Oklahoma their one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth quad one win on the women's side. Ninth quad one win. How their net ranking isn't better than it is. I do not understand. That last check, their net ranking was... Uh, I didn't get finished. Where is it? 28th? 28th. They have nine quad one wins. They should be much higher in the net. You can't go to NCAA.com and see the quad breakdown for the women's side. I put it together. I went through it. I followed the, the NCAA quad breakdown rules of what qualifies as a quad one, two, three, four game. I put it all together. I've got a little Google spreadsheet. You guys can have access to it. Um, let me know. I'll put it out on Twitter. If you just want to know about it, if you want, don't find it and want to have it sent to you, as I said again, DMs, DMs, DMs. All right, that's enough. Uh, Parker's awesome. Uh, don't forget 1012network.com. Check out every show. Parker's great. You guys are going to love this. Let's get to it. 
season is finally here, Big 12 fans. And for your home for men's and women's basketball, come to Midwest Madness. We are doing game coverages, going over game analysis, different rankings of teams, and consistently looking at the best matchups in the conference. You're not going to want to miss out on all the amazing basketball coverage we have. So go check out Midwest Madness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. There's only one place to get the best daily audio coverage of the Kansas Jayhawks, and that's here on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Join me, your host, Andy Mitz, every weekday as we go through all the biggest stories affecting your favorite college teams, whether that's football, basketball, tennis, soccer, baseball, softball, volleyball, or any other team that the Kansas Jayhawks put forward. If there's a story to cover, we grab a guest from across the sports landscape and bring that story to you. Find it now wherever you get your favorite podcasts. When it comes to college football stats, there's a lot of different sources to go through, a lot of different sources to go to, a lot of different people with a lot of different ideas. Um, and of course, one of them that we bring on as often as I can is our good friend Stats of War, Parker Fleming himself. Parker, welcome back to the show. Hello. Um, it's uh, I, I feel like I was just doing this a couple weeks ago. This is great. I think you were. Um, I forget what we talked about. Oh, we yeah, ranked, we're um, we, we went through our we reviewed yes. the position group rankings and came up with a new way to try and do a better job of evaluating it basing on how teams actually utilize each position group, which sounds super complicated. And I think I will try and do, but I have a third baby being born in May, so that'll probably not happen, but we'll see. Um, I, I like a lot of ideas that I would love to implement, but you know, time uh yeah same i mean same with me my my here's what i would like to do list is uh perpetually longer than the here's what i'm feasibly going to be able to do list so i, yeah. I need i need the little time travel device that hermione has in the uh prisoner of azkaban yeah or just even to realize like hey i'm gonna be good at two or three things and it's better to do those all the way than you know halfway pursue the million ideas that i have so maybe that's being an adult <laughs> philip maybe that's a, a a a meditation on what it means to be an adult but no, I, I want Harry Potter to be real. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, brought you on today. A couple of things I want to get to. First off, I mean, you are what I would think of as as the king of EPA. Uh, that is your baby that you push a lot. It's not your original stat, but it is one you push pretty heavily with, with CFP graphs. Um, you created the Eccle stat, which is still pretty neat. Uh, but you just posted a new one on Twitter that you could kind of, I feel like it wasn't really what the goal was, but you were trying to accomplish something specific uh, and ended up kind of coming up with this. Uh, and it's called COPE, uh, Covers Over Post Game Expectancy. Uh, and I thought it was really neat. You posted about it on Twitter. For those of you who don't follow Parker on Twitter, at Stats of War. Uh, I would suggest you do. Uh, your graph game is getting better, man. Congratulations on that one. Yeah, I feel I feel pretty good about this one. Uh, having the uh, graphic designer wife always uh, helps because I can send her things and she can say, "This looks terrible. Fix it. Uh, do better." And so um, that you know, that, and 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 so all this is programmatic. So of course I have to you know figure out how to how to make it. But yeah, it's um cool to cool to do that. Um, yeah, I, I posted this. I kind of backdoored into it because. On the BetUS show um, that I do uh, weekly during the season and the, the, this offseason, we're kind of getting into some rabbit trails about, you know, betting and trends and college football and, and, and looking at some stuff there. And so I knew that my, my co-host Gary uh, and Kyle were going to have some great information on like historical covers. They, you know, pay for these premium databases, all this stuff and really, really serious betting guys. And so I thought, what's the weirdest way I can approach this that would be informative um, to look at, you know, coaches over time 
and who's been you know the best relative to the spread. And so what I did is I took EPA uh, for each game. And I will say I didn't invent EPA. I have my own flavor of EPA, but I'm just loud and post a lot of graphs. I'm not, you know, I don't own it. I don't have any, um, uh, I, I wasn't the originator. It's not my own idea or anything, but uh, I use it a lot. I think it's a good stat. And for, for this, I just looked at, given the opening line, given how the game went in terms of EPA on offense and defense. So away from special teams, and I have some adjustments about, you know, how, how, how much a turnover can hurt you or how much a certain play can hurt you. Given all that, what's the probability that you covered um, during the game? And so the difference between the actual um, performance on the field and the score difference is some sort of, some sort of un, uncaptured coaching effect. And so if that is higher, that means given Vegas expectations and given what an average team who played um, the, the way you did in that game did, you're overperforming on those kind of intangibles, that coaching side of things, that discipline, penalties, special teams, turnovers. Um, and so that gap there kind of gives us a good idea of who, who's adding the most coaching effect strictly in this very narrow window. Of course, doesn't account for, you know, recruiting the play on the field, play design, whatever, just in this very li limited window, who's kind of adding that extra oomph uh, over expectations uh, the last couple of years. And so it kind of paints a nice picture of, you know, who's doing well, who's getting overvalued, who's getting undervalued and, and, and who's doing poorly. Uh, so kind of a nice, nice spread of, of information here. So, I mean, as you put it in, the, in your, in your tweet, outperforming expectations and winning the quote unquote intangibles, uh, special teams, turnovers, luck, grit. Um, I do think it's interesting. You know, it's, it is a way to review coaches because you, recruiting matters in coaching. Obviously you have to get to best players. Um, wins and losses are obviously the, the final, are you going to keep your job or not? You know, you can do all the little things right, but if you can't win on the field, I don't care how close you are to covering the spread. If you're still 0-12, you're still 0-12 and, and you're not long for this job, right? But these kinds of things, and I think this is interesting, is, is a way to look at who is able to take the things and overperform. It's interesting, number one on the list, of course, Chris Kleiman at Kansas State uh, with a COPE score of 14.6. So walk me through... If I look at this, I'm going to read one line, one coach. Yeah. So we can kind of break this down piece by piece. So Chris Kleiman was number one at Kansas State. Uh, average spread is is minus 1.5. When you say average spread. Um, in, in games, so, so this is games since 2018, only FBS versus FBS games. This is the average consensus opening line for every game. So on average, Cam Kansas has been uh, projected to, to lose by a, a point and a half. It, and projected to lose with the Vegas line. Like that's a little... Um, nebulous, but generally the expectation is that they are um, about a point worse than their opponents. Um, the projected, if you believe the spread is a projected difference, um, then that projected difference is, is Kansas State is worse than their opponents. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, next line. So that next one is cover? pred pred cover, which is the predicted right. given the given the little model I made. So how often okay. would you be expected to cover given you know the opening line and given your total EPA in the game? So your total offensive performance and the total defensive performance. Um, and so climate is right at fifty percent, which means Kansas State would be expected to cover in about fifty percent of their games. And that third column, actual cover, they covered 64.5, percent of the time. Um, that's that actual cover. And so your COPE score is just the difference between how you actually 
did in covering against the spread and that predicted difference against the spread. So that gives Chris Kleiman that 14.6 um, Cope score, which is, you know, four points better than number two, which is just lights out way better than anyone else. So from a betting standpoint, this is interesting because you could view Kansas State under Chris Kleiman as a team you would bet would cover the spread more often than not based off of this this metric that we're looking at here, right? Yeah. So these top three especially are, are quote unquote money makers that, that people go back to often, you know, Kleiman, Justin Wilcox at Cal, another he's defensive minded, kind of annoying. And then Hugh Freeze at Liberty. Hugh Freeze has just been a really, really good um, against the spread his entire career, uh, a, a good coach. And so this kind of gives you an idea just a, another way to look at coaches versus the spread, which is, again, I, I care less about like the making money and the expected odds and, and all that and more about the, hey, if this is a reasonable expectation of how the team should perform, who's doing better than that baseline expectation? And so, um, yeah, a couple down here like Pat Fitzgerald from Northwestern is, is seventh. Um, Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia is, is ninth. And so you see these guys that are consistently, even if their wins and losses aren't um, maybe as good as, as some of these other elite coaches, guys who are able to kind of find that extra um, value, outperform expectations a little bit more because wins and losses are binary, right? And so if I just compare wins and losses, I'm throwing out a lot of information about the game um, and about how a team performs. This is a good way to kind of capture some of those expectations and then measure actual performance versus expectation. Yeah, because I do think, I think the, the top of this list, Kleiman, Wilcox, Freeze, and Doozy. I mean, Sonny Dykes at five. Hey, TCU fans. Um, it's Gerald at seven. You look at, you're seeing a lot of coaches who are outperforming a lot of expectations, right? Uh, that we would have for them based off of recruiting and things like that. Like they tend to kind of outperform, which I think this is a way of showing that. But it is interesting. There's a few guys on this list that, you know, Dino Papers is number 16. And I, I realize once we get past the first, really the first like four or five, it's all starting to get pretty close together. There's not as big of a gap between, say, Jake Spavitol at, at, at six and um, and Dino Babers at, at, at Syracuse. But you get a guy like Dino Babers who, underperforming, he's on the hot seat, but this is a number that should should show maybe some positive light on him. Brian Harson, uh, currently at Auburn, though I know this is this includes his time at Boise State. Um Chip Kelly at UCLA. Like, it's interesting that there are some coaches on here who are outperforming expectations, but still aren't necessarily meeting them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so uh, that, that's kind of one of those, like, maybe they're not as bad um, as you as you think. If you want to go that way, I will point out that the first, you know, the gap between Kleiman at number one and Pat Narduzzi at number four is about 6.5 points. And then the gap between Sonny Dykes at five and Mike Gundy at 30, uh, or excuse me, um, Mike, Nor Mike Norvell at 21 is like four points. So, I mean, the dis distances get really, really um, close there. So, um, but I, I think that you, you look at a guy like Dino Babers, um, given the way they've performed, they have, they have done better than what's been expected of them um, post-game. And so saying, so again, this isn't against the spread all over. This is saying, given the way the game went and given the spread, um, you know, I'm controlling for your offensive and defensive performance. So everything else, how much better were you than, than expectation? So Dino Babers, guy who's been there a while, he's got a system in place. He's had some quarterback issues, whatever, but you know, they've won some big games. They haven't bottomed out in some bad games. They have a really weird home field effect with the carrier dome. 
Um, and so I think you could see a lot of these things about Dino Baber's tenure that says, yeah, 4.3%. I mean, again, he was supposed to, he would be predicted to cover 49.4% of the time as almost a touchdown underdog on average. And he's covering, you know, 53.7% of the time. So he's definitely better than, than you would expect. Um, and, and you can attribute some of that to discipline, uh, to what I, you know, motivation, whatever you can, uh, those intangibles you can't capture. Um, you look at some guys on here who are in the same realm who are really good. And, um, you know, Kirby Smart at 4.8, Jimbo Fisher at 4.7, Saban at 3.1, Gundy's down here at 2.3, at 30th, Gus Malzahn is, is 2.5 at 29th. And so those guys are all kind of your consistent um, and so the, I think the question um, or the interesting part there is all five of those guys have almost an equal sample size of games. Obviously, a couple of those have, have a lot longer, but they're really long tenured coaches. And so this isn't um, bolstered by one season of outliers like Jake Spavadol this year. Everyone just gave up on Texas State and they actually played some pretty good ball down the stretch and they, they were pretty good against the spread. And so he gets a big bump. He's sixth overall since 2018. He doesn't have as many games as some of these other guys who are, who are right there and kind of have that, you know, consistent 4.8, 4.7, 4.5 kind of uh, advantage over what you would expect from, from the spread. So looking at this, um, you made Echo. Uh, can you explain what Echo is for everybody who hasn't heard you talk about it before? Yes. Um, I thought you were going to ask me, where does Echo come from? And I was going to say, well, when a mom Echo and a dad Echo love each other very much, they sit down and make a phone call. Um, Echo is a, a measure that um, is kind of my answer to game control, my answer to time of possession. Um, and so it's born out of a, a simple, uh, but, but I think elegant idea, Philip. Football is a lot like bowling. Um, bowling. There's a certain amount of frames. You get a turn, I get a turn, you get a turn, I get a turn. One of the big differences for football uh, and bowling is that the turns aren't necessarily set. And two, I can effectively, um, you know, steal a possession, which like in bowling, I could like punch you in the face and render you incapable of going one turn and then get an extra turn. But that's, you know, that, that doesn't happen very often. But so football is, you know, there's limited possessions and, and mostly we're trading possessions and we can kind of quantify what we're doing based on those possessions. And so Echo is a way to measure quality possessions. It's a ratio um, or a rate, depending on how it's presented, of quality possessions. Quality possessions is just defined as a big play touchdown or a first down inside your opponent's 40. Um, and, you know, once you cross the 40, the probability of scoring is like over 75%. And so that really correlates well nicely to like, this is a productive drive. And then you get a ratio, which says, you know, how much, what percent of the productive drives in a game did you control? And that tells you a big story about opportunity. And then you can look at things like echo rate. How often did you create or give up opportunity? And um, you can look at points per echo, which says how well did you finish those? And that gives you a really nice narrative for um, why a game happened, right? With a stat like echo versus a stat like time of possession, I can get a pretty clear idea of, oh man, uh, Alabama had six first downs inside the Texas A&M 20 and they only scored 23 total points. I can tell you that with, I, that gives me a better idea than, than uh, of kind of how the teams relatively performed and who controlled the game in expectation. If those two teams played again, I'd actually expect Alabama to win because that, points per echo that finishing ability was so much lower than what they'd showed in all their other games. Um, the name comes from the Navy fullback who was 
uh, a part of the Emerald Bowl team that had like a 16 minute drive, which is the longest drive in history. Shout out to Alex Kirsner who wrote the article about that and um, blessed uh, blessed me with uh, using that name uh, for it, even though he kind of he kind of pulled that one up for me. Um, and so it's named after um, uh, the the Navy fullback who also played for the Patriots later on, just as an homage to. Um, you know, someone who is, who is a part of a very meaty drive. Also it's, it's analogous to the Corsi stat in hockey, which talks about quality of shots and Corsi is named after a coach who has a funny mustache. And so I was kind of looking for a player to name it after, uh, as, as well. Very nice. Okay. So the, the, I asked that and we talked about Coke and you talk about EPA and, and it seems like every time I turn around, there's, there's new stats and there's new ways of measuring success when it comes to all sports but since we're talking about college football especially college football um everybody seems to have different ideas and their own metrics and their own ways of ranking things and we bring different guests on all the time so might i mean at the end of the day wins and losses are what matter right we have to can you did you win more games did you win less games this is going to decide if you keep your job or not so what is the benefit and what's the value in continuing to look for new ways to measure success? Like why why come up with a new stat like Coke? I know it was kind of a you kind of stumbled into it, but I mean if if Chris Kleiman goes oh and twelve the next two years, but he still somehow stays in the, the upper half of teams exceeding expectations based off of, of, of betting lines, like what is what what value does that provide to us? Yeah. So one, I'll put something like um cope or some kind of weird other weird idea i have kind of in a different category than those echo and um what's the word um like echo and epa that are kind of those game like on the field what's happening stats um but i i think that the the big reason that i come up with different metrics besides procrastinating and being bored and having a little bit of uh, hyperactive uh, attention um is that uh, success in college football is not quantified there is no subtle science about you know how good is team x over team y um over a large sample and so there are plenty of ways to kind of get at different avenues of success i think echo and epa are great examples of those are two stats that measure try to measure the same thing but come at it different ways right one takes a play approach epa and one takes a drive approach, uh, Echo. And so you can kind of try and answer this question of, you know, who's going to be better? Who, who's a better team? Um, and why are they successful? And how much do I expect them to repeat the success down the stretch? Um, you know, that, that's an open question. And so looking at these new metrics, coming up with systematic ways to think about things, I think is a really useful exercise here. Um, that, that being said, there are also, you know, I, I, I do work on a betting show and we're talking about how do we, how do we win? How do we make money? How do we strategically kind of enter this market and make smart decisions? And, um, from that standpoint, I think that there are plenty of ways to kind of turn over stones and say, what has not been talked about, what has not been discovered, what has not been fully exploited, what has not been priced in. And so there, there's still, you know, puzzle pieces to put together and, and stones to uh, overturn regarding one, the relative quality of teams, but two, how to predict the relative quality of teams based on these factors. And so I like to think of my football research, um, not as procrastination uh, that I'm wasting time on, but instead just kind of a slow meandering through different ideas, turning over stones, kicking rocks and uh, kicking tires rather, and just saying, uh, does this factor into football success? What can I learn from this? I, again, all I want to do is ask and answer interesting questions about football. Um, and, and so these are all different approaches to kind of do that. 
Well, I do think it's interesting because, <clears throat> you know, I, I think it's a useful tool for college football fans to use to decide um, if it, if something is working or not, especially early on. You know, you you got a new coach. You want to figure out, okay, well, how are they doing? Well, they went 2-10 and ten this year, <clears throat> and their points per game weren't very good, and their defense was bad. Okay, well, that's not a good coach. Or is there more to it than is simply, you know, that? Which I think there is a lot of time, and so I know that takes more time, and we it, it doesn't really fit into the uh, college football fan Twitter argument of my team's better than yours because we've got ten wins and you got two. But I just think a lot of these advanced stats are ways easier, better ways to evaluate if something is working or not than just like, well, they lost. Yeah, well, so I think a great example of this is like uh, Iowa State this year because if I go to cfb-graphs.com and I look at Iowa State on a per play metric. Um, they're actually 24th in net EPA per play. Iowa was 78th in net EPA per play. Iowa was 24, or Iowa State was 24th, and Iowa was 78th, right? And so this really just ranks, again, offensive and defensive production. And so uh, Iowa beat Iowa State on the field of play, um, right? Or, or uh, I, you know, I think Iowa State was actually even higher than, than uh, Baylor. Baylor at the very end passed them. But Baylor beat Iowa State. Um, the reason Baylor beat Iowa State was... I mean, special teams, it's some nonsense that was like, oh man, this isn't great. But um, I, I think some, something like Iowa State where they, they were a lot better on their per play metrics kind of gives you insight to say, okay, last year they were um, a little bit worse on their per play metrics in the record. This year, that luck kind of caught up to them. I think that my priors on Matt Campbell are, are, are coming down a little bit because two years in a row, he's kind of lived and died by these one score games. That doesn't feel like that's sustainable long-term. And so if you just look at his record though, you're like, okay, he won, you know, nine games last year and he won uh, seven in 2021. And yeah, they had some hard luck, but they're like, he's, he's a good coach. We're going to move forward. And I'm going to, um, think that, Hey, he's still building up progress. I think that advanced metrics can give you pause to say, ah, I don't know, man. I, I like the way that they played has been similar the last two years, even if their record has been wildly divergent. And the fact that the record is wildly divergent from how their play-by-play stats have gone kind of gives me some information as to the quality of kind of how they run their team. You're just trying to make Iowa State fans mad again, aren't you? You just love to poke at that. I honestly, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I don't <laughs> even want to talk about the seven weirdos who mostly have blocked <laughs> me. Which good, leave me alone. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a good well, example. Another team, like um, another team that's that's really close was like Arizona State, and I bring them up because Herm Edwards was last in Cope. Like, just absolutely, uh, they they do not cover, especially given the. Um, like the spread and their expectations. They, uh, you saw it in the Stanford game this year. If you watched um, Arizona State and Stanford, Arizona State went up like 21 to nothing and then just said, nah, we're good. And I think Stanford came back and scored, you know, 10 points or whatever and, and ended up ended up covering a 13 point point spread there. Um, but that that factors into like, okay, does that necessarily mean that Herm Edwards is bad? Well, no, but also there's something about a killer instinct. Like if you consistently don't put teams away, I'm, I'm less inclined to think that's generosity of your heart and more inclined to think that like, maybe you don't have that second gear. So Arizona state eight and four, um, and they were 15th in EPA margin, right? So their record was way worse than their per play. And, and that kind of, that kind of raises a question in my mind to say, Hey, that coupled with the fact that you were worse in covers over post-game expectancy, what's going on with you kind of after, maybe after your scripted drives are over, maybe in the second half as um, 
altitude or weather or fatigue kind of take over? Um, is your depth really bad? Like the, you know, looking at the per play metrics and then looking at the winds, you get this good relief to start to make these questions or, uh, excuse me, ask these questions and get these interesting answers about why some of these things we can't measure might factor into your success. I, I do think it's interesting. Um, it's just, it's interesting to look at teams like the team was good because they had this record, but like, well, they were, but it doesn't mean that this is sustainable. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm trying just, to find the worst bad, like the worst good team, because that would be a fun uh, ooh, uh, podcast or a visual medium. So me scrolling on my website yes. is definitely good for the listeners, just, but EPA, low EPA hang. Let's see. UTSA was nine, no, 19th. Uh, Ole Miss was 44th. Michigan okay. State was 69th. There we Wake, go. Wake Forest, 10 and 3 at 32nd. Uh, Michigan State is another good one. Iowa against 78th, really, really bad. Flip side, Nebraska, 42nd, but they were three and nine. Yeah, that's the like, is there a team? I really, I was looking at the Cope stuff and trying to see if it, if the, you posted a reverse one, like who were the bad Cope teams? And I kept looking to see if I could find uh, Scott Frost. So Scott Frost is 22nd worst. Uh, so if I look at my graph, yeah, so he's, he's 22nd worse. He's just behind Sean Clark, which they had some dumb lines. I don't know why that's it, but he's just ahead of like, just right there on par with Jeff Brom, um, barely in front of guys like Seth Luttrell and, and Brady Hoke and Tom Allen and, um, Rod Carey. Like that's, that's a row. Okay. So Scott Frost and Josh Heupel bookend these coaches, Philip, it goes Scott Frost, then Jeff Brom, fine. Seth Luttrell, Brady Hope, Tom Allen, Rod Carey, Scott Loeffler, David Cutcliffe, Josh Heupel. I don't want to be on that list. I don't want to be in that echelon um, in, in a lot of things there. So that might be some cause for concern. He's made some turnover. Like, again, they should have won more games than they did this year. He made a bunch of changes. Maybe that'll help. Um, yeah, and, and you look at the top of this list, there's a lot of guys that are um, – you know, in hot water, there's a lot of guys who are good and not going anywhere. So, you know, Jim McElwain, they have done well at, at Simple Michigan. They haven't covered it much. Chip Lindsey, Troy, uh, third overall, he's fired. Tom Arth at uh, Akron, fourth overall, he's fired. Clay Helton was fifth. Um, seventh, Nick Rolovic, uh, who is fired for only on-field on field things. And so clearly they were looking at this metric. Um and, and just some guys here, like Mike Loxley's probably on the hot seat if they don't do well this year. And so, I mean, I, uh, Butch Davis just walked away. He's 11th. I mean, the, the list of like who's bad here, Matt Wells from Texas Tech at 15th, is, is a pretty good list of like, not only are you bad, but you're worse than expectation. You know, like if you're bad and you're low on this list. So maybe it's worth put, you know plotting this some kind of like your net EPA and your COPE score or something to say, um, you know, the teams that are bad and underperforming are probably the ones that are kind of on, on thin ice or, or coaches are, are struggling there. It's interesting to look at the bad list on the Cope side and see two guys who had arguably their best seasons, Luke Fickle sitting at 16th and Dana Holgerson at Houston at 19, two teams coming into the And 12, Dave, Dave Doran is right there too. Um, yeah, who I, I think NC State had their best season. I don't know offhand, but they were pretty good. Yeah, they were. Um, they looked at, look at eight. Mac Brown at North Carolina. Like, I know they had a disappointing year, but like how much of this plays into teams with high expectations that disappoint? Like obviously, you know, Mac Brown, North Carolina, perfect example of a team. Everybody was, I think a lot of people were high on this year that 
did not live up to expectations. But like the fickle one is interesting. Like they they went undefeated. They had a really good seat in the regular season. They had a really good year, make the playoff. And yet he's sitting here at 16th. Like our, we talked about in watching those games, you know, they struggled with some of the lower competition for a while or seemed to kind of play with their food and not put them away. I mean, that that would fit with why he's on this list. Yeah, so there's a couple different coaches on this list. So like Fickle, right? Highest of these bottom 30 coaches in Cope, Fickle, 7.8 average spread. So more than a touchdown favorite. And if you're um, into the betting stuff, you, you also have the hook. So you have to win by more than a touchdown to cover. And so he definitely is a victim of like high expectations and they, they haven't hit them. They've gotten, you know, the AAC's best shot every year. They've been in the AAC championship, what, four years in a row now. Um, Mac Brown, same thing, highly respected, a five-point favorite. Clay Helton at USC, 5.5 favorite on average, and still, uh, you know, the, the, one of the worst at, at five there. So there's that kind of coach, right. Who's like, yeah, you know, Dave Doran, 2.6 favorite, uh, on average, Dana Holgerson, 3.3. So there's these guys like, oh, you're, you're good. And you get you, maybe just the expectations a little higher than reality there. Sean Clark um, at 11.6 at App State. Yeah. Right. So you're like, okay, yep. Sean Clark, that's kind of hard to do. The flip side of that is like Scott Loeffler at Bowling Green, negative 18.5 favorite. Um, Josh Heupel is also in that echelon 12.7. Um, but then, you know, like Randy Edsall, 13th on this list, 13th worst in Cope, negative 21.6. So that's three scores and a hook. Someone has to beat you by more than three scores on average. And they still um, underperforming by five, about 5.6 percentage points. So um, that the, there's kind of different coaches there for sure. In terms of that, that average spread means a lot as well. Um because you have some of those guys with really high spreads where they get well-respected and, you know, something went wrong. They had a quarterback injury. They, um, and, and they, they, um, underwhelmed. Uh, if everybody wants to look at these lists and check out cope, we will link directly to the two tweets in. The I was going to say, I can send you the, I can send you the, um, graph too, so that you could tweet it out or whatever too, just to make it. Yeah. I'll yeah. Do that. That'll work. We'll, we'll, if you find this on Twitter, uh, so we'll link to both of these. We'll make sure you can find them. They'll be on our Twitter account as well at 1012 Network T in the number 12, the word network. Make sure and follow Parker there as well at Stats O War. Um, do not forget to check out CFE graphs.com. I love the site, I love using it. I have been trying to use it to get a figure out my evaluation of the new Oklahoma State defensive corner Derek Mason because I heard a lot of like, well, you know, they finished fourth in the SEC. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, where did he finish? Where did their defense finish on EPA? Because I think it's a good, an interesting tool to evaluate coordinators. What did they do at their last school? Um, so go make sure you uh, you have a bookmark CFB dot or dash graphs dot com. I enjoy looking at it. Parker, anything else you uh, you need to plug here, bud? No, man. Follow me on Twitter. I'm sure I'll be up to weird stuff all off season. <laughs> you weird stuff on Twitter? Strange graphs? No, man. No, absolutely not. Uh, Parker, it's always a pleasure, man. Thank you again for your time. Uh, and uh, and look forward to getting you back on to further evaluate what's going on in the Big 12 this summer. Dude, we're about to do the turn, man. It's about to be uh, it's about to be preview time. Yeah. Oh, no, not until after spring ball. I, <laughs> I made that mistake last year. We did like D-line preview in, I think it was like early April or like late March. And then I did it. And like a week later, well, so-and-so has lost two guys. And this guy's I was like, okay, we are not going to do any position group reviews until after spring ball and kids have announced they're transferring. And then we can properly evaluate what actually might be there come fall. 
my goal for 2022 is to not have anything written down because I do my football outsiders preview at the beginning of like June. And it's to not have anything written down that is demonstrably false uh, a, a month later. Like if it's good for a month in the summer, <laughs> I'll feel good about it. So yeah, you gotta wait for that spring ball stuff, man. Absolutely. Parker again, appreciate it, bud. Cool, uh, anytime. Podcast Network.